Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season, the year we've been given, is 1973. And we're almost done. We've done a lot of the movies of 1973. But don't look now. What? Is the movie that we are going to be talking about tonight. 1973's don't look now. I am your host, Greg, and before I introduce the two contestants, know this. They are contestants because this is a game show, everybody, and I'm going to be giving out points for correct answers, for well-made arguments, for funny jokes, or for compliments that touch my heart and make me feel good. Joining me tonight, the winner for like back-to-back-to-back-to-back shows and current champion and... Current best friend, because that's still something we do around here. <laughs> Ryan, welcome to the show. Uh, am I the Shohei of the show? You hey. are the Shohei. Hey, show us what you got, Shohei. Former angel, but if you think about it, the future angel. Yeah, well, I mean, if you really think about it, once they got uh, Ron Washington as their coach, that's when you're like, okay, this team is going in the right direction. They've got a young, hip guy. Just turned 72. Just a, but, you know, like a young 72. That's the thing. A young 72. I don't know, uh, listeners, if you know anybody who is 72, but there's different types of 72, just like there's different types of 73. And tonight we're doing the very film centered part of 73. Don't look now. Is the, Yeah, that's what we're doing, Ryan. Very good. Very good. Ryan. That's for knowing what movie we're talking about. Our challenger, our challenged friend, Mike. Mike, are you ready to come in here and make some great points about the movie and see if you can get off the skunk? I watched 2021's Don't Look Up, so no, I do not think this is going to go well for old Mikey Pants. Do you think that people gave that movie too hard a time and it was actually actually fine? That movie was far too beloved, if you ask me, but you ask Mike, so I'll be quiet now. Ryan, please do not weigh in on this topic. I actually didn't watch it. I would never watch it. It looked like the hottest, steamingest pile of dog shit. So, yes, it was given too hard a time, in your opinion. No, no, I think people probably (laughs) liked it too much. I waited a couple years. I think it's the American Hustle. Oh, damn, coming out swinging. Mike. Of its generation. Mike's <laughs> least favorite Irish director, David O. Russell. <laughs> um, Ryan. Mike, just so you know about what we were talking about earlier, Shohei Otani is a baseball player who pitches and hits at the same time. Whoa, what? That and he does it. It's called like Bugs Bunny. Self T ball? Yeah, yeah. He's a T ball coach. That, let, let, you should let the other team pitch. That's not fair. There's nothing in the rule that says the other team has to be the one. Oh, there is? Oh, wow. Man, they have really codified this. And it has to be a, a golden retriever. <laughs> has to be. It's the only but way to make this game fair. No, that, that breakdown did. I'm like, oh, there's so many reasons why I lose. But you guys just have a language I don't know how to speak. <laughs> yeah. Our love language is Sparts. But we are not here to talk about Sparts. We're not here to talk about Shohei Otani. And we're not here to talk about 2021's Don't Look Up. We are here to talk about Don't Look Now, a movie I feel like I had not even heard of Mm -mm. before this season started. Mike, let's start with you. What is your history with Don't Look Now? 
Uh, I had to, when I typed it in very carefully, there's so many, mo- mo- so many movies called Don't Look Blank. And I just yeah. really had to make sure I picked the right one. So My important. actual history is uh, I'm a big Donald Sunderland fan, and I fucking love The Witches. And it scared the shit out of me, which is a much later movie in this director's career. Anne Hathaway's The Witches? Anne Hathaway's The Witches. This guy came back from the dead the just the to direct witches. her in that. Uh, is it Angelica Houston? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, who is wow. has melty face and is terrifying. Uh, and I haven't watched that. Like I've gone back to the well because I'm a broken man child, as we all are. Uh, <laughs> of the things I liked as a kid, you know, I have a Monster Squad hat. I have a Monster Squad <laughs> tattoos. Uh, the Witches is one I haven't gone back to since I was a kid. I just remember Too scary? the scariest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> and now so seeing this, this, I'm like, yeah, I get, why did he make a kid's movie? Why did people let him make a kid's movie? So That's terrifying. why, yes, because we used to be a country, yeah. and in that country, kids' movies that were supposed to be a little bit scary were a little bit scary. Yeah, where's well, Toby th- Hooper's Hocus Pocus 3? Remember how when we were talking about Exorcist, we were like, why would they just let a director like babysit a completely passed out 12 year old girl when like she hardly even right. knows him that's because in, in 73 like people were like who's the most trustworthy person you know oh movie directors definitely <laughs> roman polanski yeah they've they never do done anything they wrong want. never will so, <laughs> i don't think we have to worry about those guys that's one segment of society that we got locked up pretty good ryan how about you um self-styled movie guy cinemanista don't uh, say self-styled no, I you 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 said it, but the I don't president think you... handed that down. He got the medal. <laughs> no, you are Greg styled the movie guy. Had you seen this before? I had seen this before. Um, movie I, guy, he's the Greg. Movie guy. He just loves movies. Right. He knows about movies and he's seen them. I had at least heard of it. You fucking troglodytes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I'd seen it multiple times. Uh, one scene in particular, multiple, multiple times. <laughs> I bet um, I can say which the one where he gets his neck hacked. Oops! Spoiler alert. Yeah, being a uh, weird kid when the internet first comes out, you're like, sure, there's porn everywhere, but like, let's fucking watch that one. Yeah, dude, I want to see that 1973 <laughs> two minute sex scene. Are you supposed to bend your body over her head and uh, body when you're both doing some we are gonna, shit? Like, there's a whole. Sex <laughs> oh, we're gonna, so we'll we to are going to absolutely too. get into whether or not these people know what sex is. <laughs> Um, That's going to be a whole 10 minutes of the show where we're just like, do you know how to doink at all? (laughs) (laughs) I know you're not a doink, bro. I know you're in mourning, but honestly, you pork in a ridiculous way. That should be a permanent segment. (laughs) Do you know how to doink, right? Um, But yeah, I've watched this movie the first time a while ago. Uh, Watched it pretty regularly since then. Uh, I'm going to guess that. You know, half a dozen times I've seen it. It's I find it endlessly fascinating. One of those movies where I uh, pick out new things every time. Um, it feels like you could turn to like any scene in the movie and be like, okay, I'm gonna like pay a ton of attention to this scene because I mm-hmm. feel like maybe I've missed key elements of it. There is so much to look at in every frame, but also th- you can completely switch on what you're paying attention to thematically. Yeah, uh, some yeah. of which we'll get into. But right. I uh, is this the future? Is this the past? <laughs> Is it the future, Conan? I think I can predict right now that at the end of this episode, we will wrap it up. Uh, we will stand on stage for like nine to ten minutes because our audience treats us like a fucking yes. film at the Con Film Festival. Where, uh, all right, guys, settle down. And our we'll be like, knees Man, are I- tired. We could do another show about that. Like, it's just that kind of movie. I think at, at the end of this one, we're all going to agree. We're all going to say That's together. That's a classic right there. That's a classic right That's there. A classic. Uh, in seventy three. I'm not sure people got it. Uh, this is a movie certainly that has enjoyed a comeback, right? So if we, when we're talking about um, 
the 73 like zeitgeistiness i feel like people at the time were like what and it took a little bit longer for people to be like hang on i think he's doing something yeah what but especially why and how dare you <laughs> i don't know how this movie was advertised but if the studios got it and they were like I'm, i guess just make it look like a horror film like that's gonna hurt it in the long run yeah like, people go see it and they're like uh, what? Well, I'm just like, going to turn my brain off, get a hand job over this movie, and then you're like, I can't get a hand job anymore. <laughs> like, it's called masturbation, bud. You can't, you have to stop calling it that when you're just alone in the theater. Guess who's getting a hand job tonight, boys? He's that selfie stick. Uh, I had never heard of this movie until this season, but then when we did our, our world famous pre watches, Ryan, I watched it and I was hooked. And I think part of what's interesting about this movie is you get completely absorbed in it. But it's not always clear to you as the viewer why that is. Mm-hmm. I think this movie, like, works beneath the surface. Excuse the pun. Uh, and, like, water. it's because it's, it's about water. It's working on us in ways that I think we're not always aware of. And I think that's why talking about it is gonna, going to be um, such, such a fun enterprise. Yeah, it, I mean, absorbed, but, like, a lot of times when I think about that i think about like i'm so wrapped in this plot i forget i'm watching a movie yeah but yeah. this is like i am so absorbed Ryan. in the visual like the 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 visual language of this movie while the coldness and the disassociative plot pushes me away to the fact where i never forget i'm watching a movie right yes. and it's, also it's like less zippy like tarantino never wants you to forget you're watching a movie and this director's doing the same thing but not in a zippy haven't we all watched movies way in a way of like oh you think you know what a movie is motherfucker I'll yeah. show you. But I sort of disagree with that. But unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later. So I don't want to get smacked by Greg. So I do will not. Say you it. do not want to get your smacked mouth shut. By I'm allowed me. to say whatever I want. You keep your mouth shut. I, all I'll say is those two people fucking fucked. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, we can hardly wait to get into it. So you know what? Why should we? After this break, we get into it. After losing their daughter, Christine, to an accidental drowning, Laura and John Baxter relocate to Venice, Italy, so he can restore an old and somehow fake church. But while they while there, they encounter a couple of odd sisters, one who seems to have the gift of second sight. They tell Laura that the late Christine is still with them, and this news hits the couple in two very different ways. Laura is suddenly happy and exploring the worlds of spiritualism and religion. But John is skeptical, despite the fact that he seems to be having visions of his own, of a figure very much like his daughter, moving through the alleys of Venice. But John's visions do nothing to diminish his skepticism, and this leaves him half-blind as he tries to reconcile his existential certainty with his quiet hope that he can reconnect with his late daughter. But when he gets close to doing this, boom, it's a creepy old lady instead, and she slits his throat. Grief really is complex. Gentlemen, we're going to get into this sexy sex, and we're going to get into the doubling and the reading the future. But first off, why does this movie have the grieving couple go to Venice? What makes Venice the perfect place for this story? Well, right off the bat, Greg, um, there's a sex scene that's very famous. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, you see, it's all doubling. about premonition and doubling. <laughs> uh, Venice. It's like when we do two segments about one topic. Venice rhymes with tennis. And we all have it. Penis, ah, okay. That's what you use for sex. Very true. We all have it. Listen, we all got one. That's you, the one thing that unites all people is that we all got dong. You got one in your front or you got one in your back. That's what we know uh, about think, people. Um, that's uh, what we know about pee holes. Venice is inherently creepy. Uh, and it's unsettling. Yeah, uh, water why? instead of roads? Fuck you. Get out of here with that shit. Mike, it, it's not... Venice isn't unsettling, Mike. Venice is settling. Ew! 
Bread. And you shouldn't have to settle, listeners, for jokes that are anything less I, I than I think that. it's the perfect, they are out of their comfort zone uh, as people, uh, as parents, and there's water everywhere. And I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, this director likes to show water. <laughs> water means something here. Some drops to drink. And a water, few water drops everywhere, to drink. And then, yes. But like some of it you can drink. As yeah. long as you don't and drop sometimes you're like, oh, of water in it. Man, the these people in my can't hand. hold on to anything. Do you guys think that the uh, filmmakers at The Usual Suspect saw this movie? Because that ending is just all over this entire movie. Like, drop the cup, <laughs> have a revelation. It's just every I, single This scene. is one of those movies uh, where when you are watching it and you haven't really heard of it, like I hadn't, but you are like a fan of movies that come after this, uh, every scene is like, you're like, oh, that's where that movie comes from. Oh, that's where that shot yeah. comes from. Oh, that's where that comes from. It's like, obviously, Hollywood has seen this movie, and they want to be like, hey, remember that movie? Because everything feels like a callback to this. I really do think that, like, and then you guys will notice, I was, I'd already seen this movie a bunch, so I'm kind of like... A lot, a- yeah. Of you. Yeah, uh, you're you know a what? fucking pervert for it. Right. You keep he watching it. it. He just... <laughs> uh, but you guys will notice from here on out, um, how often this movie is referenced. Like, it really is beloved among, at least in the bubble, if not outside the bubble. And that's part of its resurgence, right? Is that people who are, like, acclaimed artists reference it so much that yeah. the rest of us are like, wait a minute, there's something good here. Which is kind of like, if you didn't like it, if I don't, we don't know yet totally how everybody feels about it. If you didn't like it, right. find a way to like it. Because yeah. otherwise you're going to sound stupid. Yeah, definitely. Um, Get on I, board, everybody. <laughs> I was watching Dead Reckoning Part 1, uh-huh. um, comma, Mission Impossible, colon, <laughs> And there is a lot of chasing in Venice. And I was like, oh, somebody's seen uh, Don't Look Now. And then I was like, well, it's just in Venice. Like, there's really no way to shoot Venice at this point without. And, and those pigeons money. literally are everywhere. That was not added for this movie. That's the one thing. After you learn about the canals, the second thing you know, they are riddled with pigeons. But here's the thing that I love about what Rogue's doing, at least in this part, is that. There's this thing with directors that drives me crazy because, like, we don't have fucking time. Uh, there's better, there's more important things to do. Is that when they get into a uh, foreign locale, so I'm talking as an American about American directors in a place like Venice or Rome or uh, Bruges. Bruges. Holy shit. Bruges, um, things just connected for well, who, what director might have seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know a city that has canals. Whether it's. Um, like a low budget movie or like a uh, Merchant Ivory Oscar bait movie or it's Fast X, you get to that new city, you can't help but just show yeah. drone shots and sweeping, mm. beautiful, magnificent shots of all of the architecture and all of the famous things that we've seen. Ryan. And this movie really goes out of its way to like almost like an Eli Roth movie. Uh, like a hostile movie, never go. No, to it's you, terrifying. Never go to bed. You get this. lost. You meet creeps. Well, like, when you actually go to Venice, you go to a different part of Venice than where this movie is set. And so that's, like, a big part of what he did was it's Venice off-season. It's Venice when they're basically closing everything down, when it's winter and it's cold and there's nobody there. And also, he doesn't, like, go over the Rialto Bridge. He doesn't go to right. uh, St. Mark's Square or whatever. Like, instead, I assume because I've seen pictures of London that there's a giant uh-huh. Ferris wheel somewhere in Venice. Uh-huh. He doesn't go to that. <laughs> Um, he doesn't, he, he doesn't go to like the, the most popular churches. And so you get the back alleys, you get the really dreary looking kind of just decay without the elegance. And, you know, Venice is this place of elegant decay, but he doesn't show you any of that. He just shows you like the wet mm. moldering buildings. And I think that 
I mean, we're going to talk a lot about Christine, her short screen time, uh, or her very and her screen short time. stature, right? I think sh- that comes into it. Her short little jacket, <laughs> and long. What's that? Cake. Song? Short that skirt cake? and long jacket. It's cake. cake short skirt, long jacket. Sorry, cake. Um, but. The, the grief that's overriding this entire movie, they're in mourning, uh, even when the sun goes down. And uh, like he can't see this. Like right. Donald can't see this at any point. You know, he's freaked out by his wife, who's now found some sort of new happiness now that she knows that Christine can be seen by these two sisters, who I believe, Mike, can you check me on this? They the did song, those old crones. They wrote <laughs> Happy Birthday. And later uh, got smashed together uh, to deal with uh, a little blonde moppet of the same haircut in Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> this is a uh, prequel to Poltergeist. And it would, of course, pose the important 70s question, where's the beef? <laughs> they, can't, they can't see it. They can't find it. But Donald now lives in a little place that I like to call Sutherland, and he can't see those beautiful things. Right. He can't see the architecture. He can't see all the nice stuff. Like, any city he would have gone to is right. all alleyways and decrepit. And like, that's, life's kind that's of That's the grief pulled over his eyes, or at least, right, is everything looks like this. Right. Or at least, like, Mike, when you're his life before Christine died was he was immortal. Like, that moment, I believe, was going to last forever. Like, he was going to him and his wife and his kids at their English mansion with great jobs mm. and stuff. Like, he had the best life of fucking all time as far as he was concerned. And now this is just it's literally ruined everything until he dies. And he'll never shake it. Right. Like, it's not like. It's the way in which her ghost or spirit is supposed to be with them all the time. They can't right. like look at each other without seeing it. They can't be in a room without her all, like her absence being like right. the premier presence. Uh, and in that's the room. that's why I think so many they they like statistically so many most marriages do not survive the death of a child. And I think it's because of that. Like healing is possible, but I don't think if you're with the person who you created that person who's now gone with. Especially if one of them kills the child. That other little boy, which is why they sent him straight away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's interesting a choice the movie makes, though. Uh, We have to watch him, like, with Christine, and we have to watch him freaking out at the moment that he finds her body. Uh, But slam cut to now we're in Venice, question mark amount of time later, and there's this feeling of, like, we just skipped right. the grief. And movies always do this. Like, we skipped the grief, everybody. And you can tell the the couple is kind of trying to be past the grief for each other. But all that's happened is they've been pushed into individual so versions isolating. of the grief. And they are completely isolated and, from each other. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I've heard this called Despite One Scene. The sex scene? The sex scene. Uh, we'll Where they seem very much mm-hmm. together. We'll talk about that. There's later. a lot of closeness there. It's the least romantic movie of all time. Yeah, I mean, they're the, roommates. They, uh, yeah, totally. I, I, to I, I buy that, that completely. Except because there's definitely like a flirty vibe. It before Christine dies, they seem to ignore it so hard, and the other kid's just not around. I don't think it's it's, it's like 80 minutes in the movie before they're like, oh, we have another kid, and he's here. Uh, that I was like, fuck, uh, Jonathan. I know Joseph, they're fucking uh, with time in this movie. Did we go backwards? <laughs> Like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah, uh, there is... Uh, she's writing him a letter, like, right... Like, a couple minutes after we get we move into Venice, she's writing him a letter. But 
for the viewer, right. we're not really sure who she's writing to. Like, it's it's probably the kid, I guess. But yeah, the movie almost forgets they have another kid because he gets put into a separate world because that's what they are all like. It, this grief makes mm-hmm. them each retire to a different chamber inside themselves, and like it feels like they can only shout across this void that exists between them, and they can't traverse it anymore. Except. Just like you can't traverse easily the streets of Venice. You have to shout across the canals. (laughs) That, I mean, that's the other thing, too, about why Venice and not Rome is that um, when people are, like, building cities, like, oh, there should be a city here. They put it on the shore because of fucking water. Yeah. And the the water took his daughter. I'm so sorry about the rhyming, guys. I I have a flow right now. Uh, The water took his daughter, and so where did they go? But the the city that conquered water, like, it just lives above it. Like, so we can now walk on top of water and not drown right now. And I think that, like, that has to be something about it, right? Like, it's it's famous for, like, the streets are paved with water, water, which (laughs) is hard to do. It's so funny, though, because you think you know that on one hand, but, like, anytime they got to go somewhere, they're like, Call, call a boat. When, no, yeah. when, the, a- fucking when the ambulance out, out, showed up, like, like, oh, this city's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, they're like on the water. Yeah, when they first built Venice where it is, it wasn't even nice. They just did it because, honestly, like conquerors would come by and be like, well, you're in the ocean. Come get us, Attila <laughs> the Hun. Well, fuck it. They literally couldn't figure out how to get out to them, and they were just like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess you're free to stay Venice. When you said nice, did you mean nice? That's in France. Nice? Asshole. Oh, sorry. Um, part of the uh, immersion of Venice in this is not just the non-touristy parts. It's not just the that we're in the back alleys and stuff like that. Part of the immersion in it is that the Italian is not, um, in almost all versions, the Italian uh, dialogue is not actually given in subtitles to the viewers. How does that help with this deep immersion into like the, the experience of being in a, Which, a foreign place? I think that if... Mm-hmm. Uh, Julie Christie, Laura Baxter, yes. Laura. If she knew Italian, or was more, it of a wouldn't happen, right? Then it wouldn't happen. Yeah, but because of Donald Sutherland's specific right. knowledge of Italian, which yeah. is very poor. It's, it very much he, his knowledge of Italian really changes scene to scene. It does. Well, I think he never really speaks Italian that well, and he's just faking it most of the time. And then when he gets stressed out, it just turns into well, can then, you speak English? I, I think that's no, I can't. Right. Could you bring so in another lady who can? Of, <laughs> and she yeah. does, but then cannot. Yeah, but then they can also. But you, like, you no, just get like, uh, I just okay, don't lady, want to deal with this guy you. alone. I'm gonna grab. We can bring Roberto up here. Uh, he speaks German. But yeah, he, he knows a few phrases, a few words, uh, enough to order from the menu. But and then uh, yeah. Laura knows none, but like relies on him. Like I think it seems like she assumes he knows more than he does, and he's like, I know how to talk about church and rocks in Italian. <laughs> And he kind of play. I think he uses that. You know, uh, the watching this movie for the third time, it really hit me how controlling he is. Mm-hmm. Like one of the first things you see is she's reading with his back turned to him. He's like, right. "Hey, what you reading?" And then uh, when he first goes to see her at dinner, she's like, uh, "Oh, I'm writing a letter to John." He's like, "What's in it?" And she's like, "It's just a, it's just a letter to to John. Don't worry about it." And he's like, "Okay, what's in the letter to John? Read it to me." Like and 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 then he orders for her at dinner, and so I think he does a lot of like pretending to be in more control because that's how he deals with the unmitigated chaos of existence. Is he pretends? So I want to see a prequel, uh, just a boring like family sitcom about them to see 
did Christine's death cause this or is this always in him? And there's no way for us to know, but it definitely feels at least amplified by the death. I I feel like there is a clue that their problems predate the movie, Mike. And I think it's the fact that she's not facing him when they read, that they're facing away from each other in the beginning of the movie. I think that's kind of supposed to indicate that they've already, oh. they're in different worlds. They're already kind of separated from marriage. each other. I've never looked at my wife Which, while I'm I, reading. Yeah, I do. I do want to let everybody, all the listeners, know that it's okay for you to read and your wife to read, and that doesn't mean that you're going to get divorced or that your child will die soon. Well, I would just prefer if she <laughs> reads to me. Hmm. Well, while I do while well, feeding you grapes, while I do my while I do my exercising, uh, there's a lot of time spent in the 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 fake church. Um, and there's a lot about obviously spirituality in this. What is the religious connotation? This idea that he is a he spends all his days in the church. He's trying to um, renovate this church. He's trying to restore it. Um, but he is like the least spiritual or religious person it, of all it, time. It feels like, especially because he has the second sight, which which somebody at least says it's a gift from God, even though it only feels horrible. Uh, Yes. It feels like he's very much like, he's like, nah, it's just a job kind of guy to prove like how little anything matters to him. Like he wants to be a merc. He wants to be a hired mm. gun. But like in, in the back of his head, there's always yeah. uh, reaching for the mystical, for the other, for the religious. Yeah. And I like, I mean, his, his job is to like mm. rebuild religion. Like there is this weird fucked up Christ slash antichrist like figure about this guy that he's like trying to go back and forth and i don't mean like antichrist like the devil's inside him but i mean like christ slash fighting the christ yeah like figure inside christ of him. Uh, that, like, like, he is a person with no religious sensibilities restoring a church that is said to be fake right i still and then, don't get and that I, part I, I, does that mean that it's just gonna be a tourist i truly attraction? don't know what that i think means. that like people are gonna people are gonna walk in and they're going to um Look at the how old it is and ooh and ah, but I don't know if like actual prayer or sermons will go on. I'm guessing. Here's what I'm guessing. Um, and you, what I like about this movie is it will not explain things to you. Mm -hmm. And what happens then is you end up pressing your face to the movie and trying to peer around the sides to see what you can come up with. I think it might be fake in that it is not as old. And as so it's when made he's like, look, I think comparing that stones, he's trying to make it look older. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, because it's like. At, in maybe like the 19th century, they built this church and they were like, look, this is from the 14th century because that's a lot cooler to go look at. But because Venice is the <laughs> Vegas of its day, a lot of it's just bullshit, artifice, fakery, you know, and so it, it they they would manufacture relics. That was a pretty big business in, in uh, the Middle Ages. I mean, think about it. If you're a, a real city that's like old or not, but you have off seasons and you have times where the city is basically empty yeah. you're a tourist trap and yeah you, that's that's your main money and that's what you're right. thinking about so if that means that you got to rebuild a church uh and uh, i think that's also true too of like this for uh james baxter john john baxter. J for john baxter for the jb um that adds to the whole thing of like this spirituality mm -hmm. is fake it's always fake we are recreating this church for like for fake reasons therefore there is no spirituality and that makes him deny his right. sight whether he has that or not right. um and i think it, the, the movie is at a certain point it's kind but of undeniable, it? right that like there's yeah. something Starting going from on the first oh scene. yeah oh yeah yeah definitely and it's 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 the fact that he has second sight but that he denies it and so there's a lot of imagery of like just one eye 
Um, and so he is like, he's not blind. Mm. He's half blind. And that's worse because he sees enough to mislead right. himself. Right. That if he if he believed in his second sight, that would probably be okay. Or if he totally didn't have it and had his beliefs, that would be okay. It's this half, you know, having one eye open, one eye closed. But the opposite that of him. JB is the. When we haven't talked that much about the two sisters, but um, the Heather. blind sister to be for John to be the opposite of him would be the blind sister who cannot see but sees everything yeah and then you're just a freak you're like a uh, controlled by spirit freak show and that's not what he wants with a creepy smile on your face all the time right and he wants con- <laughs> full control and all no the creepy time. smiles well we and, uh, not a lot of creepy smiles we hit some pretty important points in that first segment but can we turn to matters a little more trivial when we come back trivia they call it trivia, and that's just what it is. I'm going to ask you the questions. Wait until I get to the end of the question before ringing in with your own name. The answers are whatever I say they are, because I'm the one did all the research. If they wasn't, then why would you say they why are? Why would I say they are? So true. So true. Question one. What did Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie do on the day they met? Mike. Mike. Fuck! Well, they filmed that sex scene. Mike. Question mark, question mark. Was it true that this scene features true and real sexual intercourse? Uh, I have to say... Are you going to ring in there, Chief? Oh, we ringing in? Ring, you got to ring in! Okay, sorry. I misunderstood. Ryan. Ryan. I have to think that they did not. I'm going to go Ryan. with that. In 2011... Donald Sutherland and producer Peter Katz issued stark denials that there was actual penetration going on. Uh, the fa- oh, that means there is then. <laughs> <laughs> Only people who deny things are the people who did them. The famous sex scene was completely removed by the censors when this movie was theatrically released in what country? Ryan. Mike. Mike. USA? Not USA. Shit. Ryan, do you have a guess? Uh, I will say China. Not China. Mike. It was... Oh, Mike? Italy? <laughs> Not Italy. Ryan. Ryan? I will say uh, Djibouti. Not Djibouti. It was a bunny old Ireland. Oh, no, you can't be having sex in the middle of the movie there. So just take that part out. <laughs> don't look now. We're like, don't look ever. <laughs> Ryan. It's a lot like that. Um, the, uh, so as not to get an X rating in the U S how much of the sex scene had to be cut out? Ryan, Ryan, 50%. Mike, do you have a guess? Mike, 87.2%. Uh, in order to get the, to avoid the X rating, nine frames had to be cut out of the sex scene. What did Julie Christie's, Christie's boyfriend, Warren Beatty, do the first time he saw director Nicholas Rogue after filming this scene? Mike? Mike? Hit him. He punched him. Yeah. He said, I know do you want my Beatty. He said, uh, do you want me to punch you here or punch you outside? Oh. And uh, Rogue went outside, I guess. So they went outside and he socked him. And he's like, all right, we're square. That's like a classic Glass Boy Scout head or gut situation. <laughs> Mike. Um, what is notable about the dialogue in the scene set in the church where Laura lights a candle for Christine? Ryan. Ryan. 
Improvised? It was... Ryan. Mostly improvised. Apparently they had a lot of uh, writing for that scene. It just all sounded awful. And so they just went with like the, the two of them not kind of seeing eye to eye. Renato Scarpa, who plays Inspector Longhi, couldn't do what? Making delivering his lines a bit difficult. Mike. Mike. Speak Italian. Ryan. Ryan. Speaking place. Yeah, I think he speaks uh. Italian. Good. <laughs> well, that would have made it difficult. I think English was Ryan. a little bit of a stretch for him. Apparently what they did was they would just say his lines, and then he would just repeat the sounds that he heard. Like, awkward. And, and then he Rogue really liked how creepy that was, <laughs> which yeah. it is. That guy's got no. the creepiest oh, energy. so weird. But did you Some say, like, you think, Yeah, the band Aqua apparently they, didn't know English. They did it all, like, syllabic? Yeah. That's awesome. Really? Oh, that's yeah. a fun fact. Mike. Those Man. Barbie girls. All facts are kind of fun, but that was a particularly fun, fun fact. Uh, over 7 million people died in the Holocaust. What that's a fun not, fact. That's not fun at all. Mike. Mike. Um, Venice turned out to be a difficult place to film in, mainly due to what? Which caused problems with continuity and transporting equipment. Ryan. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, the water. Mike, can you be more specific? Mike, the ki- the canals. <laughs> Is that more specific? <laughs> it 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 was the water, but it was specifically the tides. Mm, um, tides. Apparently, it was continuity hell because the water would be like significantly higher um, at some times than at other times. I heard it was weird for uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie to walk on the c- canals before they went in had an owl. <laughs> Ryan. Oh, I thought that was a mic for sure. Dude, didn't you? <laughs> so did I. Didn't you? The, I let the fingies decide. The the fingies so want Donald. what they want. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that Mike. name has been as ruined as Adolf has been ruined. Yeah. yeah. Should we just call him Sutherland or yeah. D- Nintendo DS? Sutherland. Uh, how was this film received by Venetians? Ryan. Ryan. Mike. They said, don't look now, because we're Venetian blind. <laughs> oh, Mike. No, but that does seem to have some resonance with the movie. Mike? <laughs> Mike, I don't think they liked it. It does not show Venetians in the best light, I'd say. Yes. Um, Mike. Particularly, like, the city councilors were very afraid it would scare away tourists. <laughs> Especially, again, for a city that seems to heavily rely on that. Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, as soon as the tourists leave, it's just the, everyone looking around like, well, nothing here anymore. <laughs> puts the long caps and the nightgowns on I've, and just goes to sleep. It's not a real, it's like, it has ceased being a real place. I mean, we talked about this when we talked about like why it's a good location. That's why, because it is a dead city and we hang out in its corpse. But, like, but no, there's like no life there. People live Jersey in Shore Ve- after Labor Day. <laughs> right. And it's, it's just shitty teenagers. People live in Vegas. People live in uh, Branson. Is that yeah. not the case for Venice? No. Well, everybody, like, in the 70s, there, was few, there were a few more people, but mm-hmm. almost everybody who works in Venice, like, takes the train to get to Venice and then takes the canals so to get to where they were. Park, then. It's yeah, yeah, Tourists it's, have made it so awful, I think, that they, they don't want to be there. And it's a tough place to live, you know? It's, like, yeah. tough to, to have kids there and go to school. It's not a very, like, um, disability, like, compatible place. Which, that, that is a good point, though. If they're going to go, let's say they decided to go to Venice for sure, then it's good they sent their last remaining non-drowned child somewhere else. Yeah. Like, that, that kid should not be in Venice. Like, well, we know our kid's kryptonite, so we're not going to have him here. <laughs> what is noteworthy about the scene where John almost falls to his death? 
Mike. Oh, Ryan. Mike. Uh, it really happened. They said, fuck it, we're leaving it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, sometimes that answer is so funny, it has to be true. <laughs> this is not the case for this particular answer, but you could imagine. Ryan? Uh, I believe that uh, it was something that uh, Sutherland's stunt double would not do. Uh, they couldn't get the insurance for the stunt double to do it. So Donald Sutherland said, I'll just do it. And he thought he was like rigged up in such a way that would be safe. And it turned out that if it had gone a little bit differently, he would have fallen. Hey, my guy, character and actor, if you're in like a horror or horror adjacent movie, don't go on like a suspended right. painter's no, thing loft. No. Apparently, if he had twisted around more, the, the rope that was actually holding him up would have twisted and broken because he didn't know how to do stunts. Right. Because he's not a stunt man. Because the stunt man wouldn't do the stunt because of professional reasons about doing stunts. It's not Donald's stunt. When the stunt man <laughs> won't do it, don't be like, well, you know, I'll do it. That's okay. Alec Baldwin, you hear that? <laughs> uh, what did Donald Sutherland wear for the entirety of filming, even while buck-ass naked? Mike. Mike? Condoms. Wait, so like in the dinner scene? Yeah. Condoms. He has a condom no, not, not condoms. <laughs> I'm always wearing a rubber in case it goes down. Dude. You never know. You never know. Protection. Ryan. Ryan. Um, A necklace? Not a necklace. A glorious curly wig that he oh, wore. That was going to be my second guess. Under his nose? Uh, on on top on top of his head. That is not his hair. That is a curly wig. That's a, that's how I see Sutherland is with yeah. that curly hair. Is this he has stolen? that same hair in Sliver? Is this stolen curly valor? <laughs> yeah. Now I like him not at all. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. That's find an actor whose hair is curly. That's all I ask. To prepare Julie Christie for her role, which de- which deals with extrasensory perception and precognition, director Nicholas Rogue took her where. Ryan. Ryan. The ESP end zone. Mike. Mike. The mystery spot in sunny Santa Cruz, California. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. The Native American Lodge at Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> Mike. Mike. <laughs> the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose. <laughs> Do we live in the worst state? <laughs> <laughs> and the correct answer is the mystery spot. No. Uh, he, he took her to some seances. The film's German title is When Die Gondolin Trauer Tragen, which means what? <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. Uh, when you look, it should not be now. Mike. <laughs> Mike. Don't ride the boats. In German, When Die Gondolin Trauer Tragen means When Gondolas Wear Grief. That's pretty good. Can this possibly be true? <laughs> Mike. Oh, you think that you looked up the Mike? fact? No. This is true. <laughs> Point to Ryan right. there for some reason. Uh, <laughs> that when gondolas wear green. Imagine you work so hard to make a movie as beautiful, complex, and interesting as this. And then they call it When Gondolas Wear Grief. I would have taken it one step further and made every gondola, like, kit from Knight Rider. Just <laughs> talking to the, Or the Thomas people. the Tank Engine. They have the faces. I can't do that, Michael. Um, hey, can, time out. Can we talk about how weird it is that there was a hero on TV in the 1980s and the, like, the title of the show was Knight Rider? That's what they used to call, like, Ku Klux Klan riders who at night would come and, like, burn a cross in your yard. Like, how come the racism sometimes isn't, like, very deep down? 
<laughs> like, well, yeah, just like the General Washington or the General Lee was the car the those yes. douchebag brothers drove. Yeah, I mean, it's like sometimes we get so conspiratorial with it, but sometimes it's just right up at the surface. Do you know what else? I mean, this is really off topic, but uh, I was reminded of, I totally forgot about, is that in, I think, South Carolina, there's a big cliff that it, there's like an etched in artwork of KKK members, like start starting the KKK. Like the South Klu Klux Carolina's Klux? Mount Rushmore. Is the KKK like in? Yeah, Let's people on horses starting the KKK. Let's burn down a cliff. Let's burn down a cliff. <laughs> burn that cliff to the ground. Um, this is the favorite horror film of which pop filter Hall of Fame reject who was rejected because one panelist hasn't gotten a clue about his, this legend. Ryan. Ryan. Mike. Uh, I. W- my first thought was Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Very good. Ryan. Two enthusiastic Parker's votes. Clue. That was that was Jeopardy style, where there's always a hidden clue. Yeah, in every I was question. like Tim Meadows hasn't got a clue <laughs> about this legend. Uh, this is Pino Dongio's first film score. Why did he almost turn down the role? Ryan. Ryan. Busy. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> Didn't actually know how to compose music. Uh, that's pretty close. Uh. He was like, I am a musician, but I've never done this before, so why do you want me yeah. to do it for the first time ever? Uh, how did he do? I, I Okay, so this is the season of Serpico. It is the season of Serpico where we've heard some of the worst music of all time. <laughs> Just like out of place, and so the dynamics are this is, everywhere. This is the year where Martin Scorsese was like, I got it. I'll put music that people actually like in my movies. And everyone was like, whoa, holy cow. Wait, you can do that? <laughs> this is the year that invented uh, the pop soundtrack, which you would think didn't need to be invented. Yeah. Scorsese did it. Um, I would say that overall, there are some places that it is like eyebrow raising, but overall, like, adds to the effect. And, like, this film is so Hitchcockian that, like, I think he wanted his own Bernard Herman without necessarily copying Bernard Herman. So maybe go out and, like, kind of make one? Kind of, yeah. Uh, what do you think about the sound, the music in this movie, Mike? No, I agree. Sometimes it's very unsettling, and I definitely hear the Hitchcockian musical notes because it's it's not a ripoff of, eh, 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 but there is like some weird high pitch shit going on in mm-hmm. certain scenes. It's unsettling, and sometimes you're like, is it unsettling because it doesn't work at all in this scene, <laughs> or it's supposed to? And you're like, it w- when you make a movie like this, baby, it all doesn't work. It works. It's also really hard too not to make up excuses for the movie, but it's really hard because it's just not modern. Right. No. Like it just doesn't sound like the movies that we watch in theaters today. It's also not consistent, but I think in a way in which it's kind of right. cool, which is that like he kind of what is the doing fuck is in this movie. He's doing like four different things. There's like there's I would say not four, but I'd say there are three distinct scores. There's an orchestral, mm-hmm. uh, piano, and then there's like this weird electronic music that lets you know things are really about to get fucky when that music starts coming on. That feels so uh beholden to Argento and Goblin. Mm-hmm. Like it, like now we're gonna get like weird, weird. <laughs> and then the fifth one is what? having a little person in a red coat always being like, "Don't look now, everybody." Well, that is the end of the trivia section. Everything we say from this point forward is gonna be very important. This movie abounds with doubles, either things that take place in the past and the future. Um, characters that are mistaken for one another. What does this movie have to say about doubles and premonitions? Well, 
I, I think it hits in a good way for the premonition part of not a lot of psychic dealing movies deal with this of like, you would be unsettled and off your rocker at all times. Life is not comfortable. If you're getting glimpses you, of the future. Because it's not like, and so many times they're like, or if your daughter died. People wavering like, I'm a glimpse from the future. You can tell because I'm in a sepia tone. Uh, and he just sees people who aren't there yet. They'll yeah. be there in two days. Uh, it seems to kind of like dawn on him. It's almost like he imagines that he's imagining it or something like right. that. You see him want to dispense with it as soon as it happens. Be- because, and be like, I think it would mean so much less if grief wasn't what this movie is really about. Uh, when you are grieving, you're hearing the people you lost voices. You are, you expect to see them because you, yeah, so you, you kind of you double see take. Them everywhere, yeah. And, and you're like, oh, that leaf falling must be your uncle. No, it's just a fucking leaf falling. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think the adding in that extrasensory thing, I think is a really good way to capture how grief fucks with your mind. Okay. How it's like its own form of kind of like time travel or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I, like, I do think that, um, like we talked about before, like I do think that you are doomed, and I think that it completely changes your outlook. Like you go from, I have my whole life ahead of me to uh, my life is almost over in one moment, where that's supposed to sort of be a gradual thing. I think for most people, and you like kind of actively right. want it to end. Like you I, would just I, like I think so. check out if you could. I think that if it wasn't for like if he didn't have a little bit of concern for his son and his wife. Mm-hmm. which he does have a little bit for, but yeah. like, he is holding that back because he knows they're going to die. And I don't want to fucking right. go through this again. So I'd rather die before that. And, and it's not, not an active thought in his mind, but it's, it's in the background of everything. Not only are they going to die. I can't, I have zero control yeah. and that's all I want now. And also it comes down to a certain scene and my wife kind of blames me and maybe I kind of blame me. And also they don't deal with it, but he probably blames his son a little. Cause he was right next he was to her. Right, like, you were right there champ. You were I right there. There's a lot of finger pointing that well, why this is awesome and why like non-modern movies rule. They don't deal with it that much. There's just, I think, under the surface finger pointing of everybody who's alive in this family blaming Did, everybody else. There's, there's a perfect part where of like uh, really defining how you can't blame the son because he's just a child where uh, Donald Sutherland is like he brings his daughter up and brings her to the shore and is like trying CPR. But like he knows that she has she's dead so like this is uh-huh. all for him it's not for her like she is gone and the little his son is standing there watching his sister die but still like well i got this candy so i'm just gonna eat some of this candy no he's holding glass in his hand is glass and he's like he he's like caressing because he breaks that glass because one of the doubling things that you see all the time is glass being broken and right. he's holding glass, but he's, like, caressing it because he's so out of it because of how shocked he is by what's happening. And you can see he's, like, cutting himself, and he's bleeding, but he doesn't realize oh, what he's... he's licking the blood? Yeah, he doesn't realize what uh, he's doing is, like, slowly cutting himself. And so, like, you see so much about what's going on with that kid, which the movie doesn't give, like... Or it just isn't... It's not about. I'm sure that it doesn't right. not care about him, but it's absolutely 100% not about this little boy. But you can see him being in his own like sort of instanced reality, his own like one person reality and him being like absolutely transfixed in it right there. As much as this movie is about grief. And I think that like we could eliminate everything else that it might be about. Yeah. And grief would remain. And it's weird because the characters are constantly trying to move away from their grief. And so it's like, they don't express it a lot. 
to each other that right. much. But you can it's yeah. like Christine. It's always with them. They're just generally not looking at it. But like as explained earlier, this is the first movie that uh has the traumatic incident and then skips time forward. But instead of skipping time past the grief, start like starts to actually dig into it. Yeah, the, uh, it's like it skips and then past that's the entire movie. To me it feels like it skips past the part of grief where you are literally lying down screaming. We are a howling mess. Yeah, yeah. And it goes past that to the part where you're like, I think I'm actually ready to move on a little bit because that's where grief Bitch. is waiting to just fucking jump you oh, and just yeah, destroy grief is a you. Bastard. Yeah, because at least when you're screaming nonstop, like you are like in reality. But when you decide you're just going to move past it, that's when you go into like fantasy land. That's when you go to Venice, fantasy land, right? Like right. you just absolutely depart from reality into the pretend land. But as much as it is about that, I do think that like we're seeing a ton of. Let's fuck with storytelling. Let's fuck with movie making, and let's never have it be the same again. Like I, in a lot of ways, I think this movie is as important as Battleship Potemkin, um, where Eisenstein said Eisenstein basically came out to prove that uh, people know just mentally, just like they were born with this knowledge that when I cut from one thing to another, those two things are attached in some way, right? right. And so that's why this this uh, Potemkin is like uh, famous for creating the montage. Because it might not just be, I'm walking here, now I'm walking there, now I'm walking there. Or, I'm lifting weights, now I'm jump roping, now I'm uh, hitting a punching But bag. I'm creating a logic just by the order in which I show you the scenes. And right. the way in which I sort of like mirror the content in one shot. So even if it's uh, three seemingly disparate shots, by the fact that they're back to back to back, we, we're now creating something in the viewer's mind. And this movie takes that and fucks with it in such a way that I... It like takes all of the mirrored things, the uh, the idea of glass and water and reflection, and the way that he will put shots together that do almost in a corny way are the same. You know, yeah. like some of them stand out, and you're like, uh, good one. Like only what because on the of glass where- thing looks like a red per- a person yeah, in a red right. coat running kind of thing. I yeah. feel like we only feel that way now, though, because we live in a world he helped to create. Exactly, that makes us right. a little tired of... And also, but also, I think at the same time, he's setting up your brain to be like, uh, let's throw him a couple corny ones. Yeah. And then to like so set they their get brain. it. Right. And then we're going to do it to them Ryan. a billion times where be- they get it, but they don't. And that's what's going right. to fuck them up. Because glass and water and reflections are all about slowly, slightly distorting reality and what you see, and you can't trust it because it's not actually what you really see, right? And so he's just weaving that in. And yeah, and it's not just the characters in the movie. It's us. It's cameras. Cameras distort Mm -hmm. it. We're watching this movie in you know a theater or on TV, and that's a screen. That's a glass. That's distortion. Like It's all a little bit off. Always on. Always off? Was that IFC's? IFC. Yeah, that was IFC's uh, <laughs> slogan. Um, slightly off. Always on, slightly off. Something like that. Um, but there is no way to tell the truth. There is, there's simply no way to tell the truth. So what he's doing is saying, well. You can't go right at it. Right. Yeah. And so by editing in this way, Ryan. I can't tell you the truth about what happened, but I can tell you what it's like to grieve. Or I can tell right. you what it's like to have a marriage feel like it's real, but it's not. Or uh pretend like it's 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 working but it's not and that's all through not the dialogue this guy doesn't fucking give a shit about dialogue it's the and editing. he's right 
I think and that's because dialogue is cheesy and big melodramatic monologues. Right. Fuck yes. that. It is the jarring sense of how he creates the isolation without dialogue and the the collapsing time. Because people All don't talk about what's on their mind. Mm-hmm. Like you, even when you are like the you if you are in a marriage that lasts for for years and years, um, you eventually have to like have these little meetings where you talk about what's really state going on. Unions. Yeah, you have to do state yeah. of the unions because you spend so much of the time not actually saying what's going on, but instead like trying to be cheery for the other person, trying to be supportive, trying to deal with your shit and not try to pile onto them when they're dealing with their shit. Or sometimes, and this is rarer than you think, but sometimes literally just read this book. I just want to read this book. <laughs> but like, Tell me what you're reading, and woman. look away. <laughs> <laughs> to let anybody, any looky-loos know we're not doing well. I, I, I mean, like... Like, I don't even know if I've if I know anybody who this has happened to like this tragedy like I can't imagine it happening to me. You know who it made me think of? Rob Delaney, whose son Henry died yeah. of brain cancer, and, and I- all he did was like uh, write a book, create a show. Like I mean, he is he's he did not dance around it. He no, he went through it. But I holy fuck, how painful must that have been? I recently yeah. saw him do um, like a kind of an interview, a one on one interview with um, Patricia. Arquette. Um, Arquette. No, Lock. I can't remember if it's Lockhart or Lockwood, but she wrote a book called Priest Daddy, and she wrote a book called No One's Talking About This, which was about her sister's um, child dying. And so the two of them were talking about like what it's like to have lost a child, whether it's yours or... And part of what they both talked about is like you lose people in your life who are just like, I can't be there for you because this is too yeah. gnarly. Because it grief pushes people away. Mm from each yeah. other it, it is very hard to be together in grief because it's like an open raw nerve i mean it's like uh standing uh like at the start line of a marathon and like i guarantee you that if i was at the starting line of a marathon i would say 100 percent of the time oh never mind and i get back to my car and i drive home <laughs> Goodbye. and like so like if something were like this were to happen to one of you two it's the same thing and i would i would definitely want i wouldn't but i would want to drive home yeah, but it, promise me this show goes on. <laughs> oh, yeah, and we never talk. No, we only talk about it. Before we move on from the doubling thing, I want to say something that is kind of like, or I want to talk about something that's kind of like doubling, but kind of not, which is uh, we get to see at least one, we get to see two phone calls where we see both sides of the phone call. Mm-hmm. And I have never seen a movie where the sides of the phone calls don't line up meaningfully at all. And is it on purpose? Because yeah. the movie's about you can't communicate, right? Like I, mean, I do think be. that's the point. Yeah, is that is that you know it's supposed to be like a bad connection, but also right. like when he talks is to the right? headmaster, when when John talks to the headmaster, they've called up to say that his son has gotten injured. It feels like they the scene is like not synced up in time, right? Even until his the headmaster's wife is like, I'm gonna fucking just do give this. me the phone. Oh my god! Well, we've yeah. had a bit of an issue here. Just say his kid is hurt, but okay. Did this movie involve podcasting with somebody on Skype? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, Ryan. Yeah, uh, and uh, the other th- the other part about this movie too is, or this scene rather, is that once everything is clear, uh, we see Laura be almost happier than when she fainted and like found Christine again. Uh-huh. Like her baby is ill, her baby is injured, and she gets to go save him. Yeah, and, like that's, Yeah, and that's when he- she gets more Ryan. delighted than anything else. Like this. I don't. She also seems a little stoked after he's dead, and she's right. She's on the boat. There's a very kind of like midsummer, like hard to read expression on her mm. face. But like, I looked this up on Reddit. Mona Lisa's smile. She's a little freer. 
Oh, looked what up on Reddit? W- this this face. I'd what like, the face I'd, is supposed yeah. to mean? And what is it supposed to mean according to Reddit? Well, Craig. WTF. Halfway through the movie, they fuck. Have <laughs> you, did you know about that? I did hear about that. And she's pregnant. So she doesn't care. Oh, because she's got his kid. She's going to, uh, and this is part of like the whole JC part of JB, is that um, everything's fine because she will give birth to his, the you know, the fatherless son. Oh, I like mine better, which is that she's like yeah. kind of escaped the prison of them having this. But she has not though, because I'd like as as bad of a husband as I think Sutherland can be in this movie. The sisters aren't like the sisters are treating her like an object, and now she's well. Stuck she's with not going to hang out with them for the rest of her life. I don't know that. <laughs> what if she's going to go a, hang out with her kid? What if they travel on a funeral boat for the rest of their days? <laughs> when we come back, if there's one thing you want to do when you're in Venice, it's go shopping, and so that's just what we're gonna do. That is right. It is time for a shopping spree. We're going to run through this movie, trying to stay one step ahead of tragedy, and all the while getting ourselves things that we really like. Mike, let's start with you. As you run through Don't Look Now... What are you gonna get, bud? And these have to be from the movie, right? Like these have to be from the movie. Yeah. It can't be like uh, chain link fences around the pond at your house so your children don't drown. <laughs> oh. not, not a terrible idea, based <laughs> on what I've seen recently. That's yeah, yeah, why it's the uh, reverse shopping spree because it's don't look now things that were not in the movie but should have been. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if I had kids and I moved to a house with a pool, I love pools. First thing I do, just pour concrete in that bad boy. <laughs> Get out of here, pool. Now you're into skateboarding, kids. Woo! Cowabunga. Mike, what do you got? First pick overall. Uh, That fucking funeral... Uh, Not barge. Barges are big. What are these called? The funeral, funeral water boat? Hearse. The funeral... The water hearse is so sick looking. That is... Yes. I want it. Sea hearse. I mean, you like... You never want to die, and God willing, none of us ever will. But man, if you gotta go, Waterhurst, dude, that's Waterhurst. pretty good. Waterhurst uh, plus Viking funeral. That's not from the movie. That's just what I want. That's just what you want. Yeah, should have been in the movie. Should have been, but the it's movie. not. Also, we know now that uh, if you're not gonna die in New Orleans, the best funeral city, then yeah. Venice is number two. Definitely great place to die. Uh, your chance of like coming back as a ghost if you die in Venice is gotta be like two, three times your average oh, yeah. place, or a pigeon, which is unfortunate. Or a pigeon. Or coming back as a pigeon. Ryan, what have you got? Uh, Besides a great pigeon impression that really (laughs) needs to be. That was good. Not as good. Uh, I I typically take the uh, things. I'm very materialistic. You love things, You guys usually take, like, the... uh, I'm like persons, Mike loves places, but you are (laughs) all about things. Um, You guys usually take like the stuff that you can't hold in your hand, like the experiences and the superpowers. Yes. Um, I'm going to have to uh, change my rules here though and i'm gonna have to go with orgasmic visions um this blind sister starts to see something in the future and it she fucking comes everywhere and okay. grabs her titties what She's... the fuck happened there they're, she they're saw them fucking to... right that's, that's what i see they're supposed to be like conjuring up christine and when it cuts to what they're doing, she's standing in the middle of the room, the blind sister who's supposed to be conjuring up the g- Christine, and she's just rubbing her tits and moaning. I don't I, know if she raised the dead, but she raised something. 
I, I really do think she saw the scene we all So saw. you want, Ryan, you want horny visions? <laughs> yeah, I want to be able to fucking... You want to be 14 again? <laughs> Here's a kind of weird thing. Um, spiritualism, when it first got really big uh, and involved, like, you know, channeling spirits and everything, it did take on this really weird sexual dynamic. I mean, you got to get it out somewhere, right? And the church yeah. is like, well, you can't do it sexily so do it churchily so some of the women would be like well i have to be naked to do this so that you can see that i'm not like making anything up and then remember how they taught they call like ectoplasm mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. yeah some of the place where these female mediums would like have ectoplasm coming out of Mm -hmm. not not very appropriate if you ask this panelist Uh, horny visions ectoplasms (laughs) horny visions for ryan a step back into middle school. Um, I am going to have to go with, I would like a stained glass window. All the windows in my house have the same major drawback, I think. They're not pretty little pictures. They're not cool stained glass. Now, is Jesus in here, or is it like of you doing things? Oh, I think it'll be like a secular stained glass Mm -hmm. window. Like a big Xbox controller, yeah, or like a Mario or something. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. I, uh, imagine you come over to my house and there's like a stained glass Mario or actually this would be a lot better this would be more like canonical a stained glass peach because she actually has those in her castle what about the band stained is in one yeah, of the windows it's Aaron what's his face <laughs> just a stained uh, glass lead singer of stained I we don't have to get into the whole thing but I'm actually a, a much more of a puddle of mud guy oh uh, that so, is true yeah because you love the really... way she slaps your ass the two communities don't actually see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, so uh, we don't have to get but into it. It's stained not a glass, puddle of mud, it's all back to yeah, reflections, and Don't Look Now. Yeah. Did Don't Look Now invent both those bands? I think so. <laughs> so it's actually not a good movie. Uh, another thing they invented was that part where John goes, Can you take me higher before I fall to my death in this church? You guys... <laughs> how, much grip, how much grip strength does he have? Oh, I got to yeah. tell you, if I have to hold on to something for my life, like, hasta la pasta, guys. See you later. I'm out. I, Honestly, the only person who has more grip strength is me watching that sex scene. <laughs> Ryan. Oh, on his cock. Ryan. I can't. I, you know what? I can't help it. You're winning me over tonight, bud. Now, Your comments are actually getting you more points we than should Mike. Let, let the listeners know that me and Mike both – uh, went to talk at the same time, and Mike gave me that floor. So yeah, <laughs> I gave you that point for that. <laughs> you guys decided to start speaking at the exact same second, and then both I, stopped at the exact same second. I was just going to tell a story about how I was once in a snowboard lift that goes like under your knee instead of a sit, and it oh, got no. twisted because. Th- and then I said, Don't "Fuck this," twisted. and I let go and let myself roll down you the mail. <laughs> I was like, because yeah, I was like, "Nah, not gonna, nah, can't do Did it." Did you say cowabunga? Yeah, <laughs> as I broke every clavicle. Uh, I don't normally think of priests as having like top tier fashion choices. And I think that's on me because especially Italian priests, they're like kind of taking it up to a new level. They're also Italian. Yeah, it's the Italian thing yeah, more than the priest thing. Yeah. They, there's a part where uh, they're like walking around a church and one of these priests walks by and he has like a Game of Thrones style Jon Snow cape. Yeah. And I got to get my hands on that cape. It's like full, it wraps all the way around his body. It's very fancy looking. That's how he disappears. He wraps it around himself, says, Look <laughs> over there, and then <laughs> <runs away. laughs> I am now invisible. All right. 
Mike. All right, see, for round one, let's see, we got we, we got Waterhurst, Horny Visions, Stang. You know what, Ryan? You went outside your comfort level there. Right. Both to discuss publicly your own horniness, which I know you are loath to do. No, yeah, I don't like talking about how horny I am. Yeah. Um, in round two, Ryan, what do you got as your second pick? Well, now Greg's house is like a little fancier than mine with the stained glass Mario's and yeah, stained you're glass. Gonna, you feel it like as soon as you come out of my garage and you see my stained glass sliding glass window. Uh, I got to keep up with the Joneses here, mm-hmm. and so I want those fucking gargoyles. Damn gargoyles. it! Give me some goddamn gargoyles. They Bring out the goyles. These goyles <laughs> look so specific. It, it, the, the the goyle that is like he's almost smooching while he's like setting up. Yeah. Uh, really, I feels like the movie thinks it's foreshadowing who the actual murderer is later. Like, there's a and lot I'm of one to one there. Were, oh, I see that. I if see we that. were religious buffs, we would probably get so much more out of this movie. Oh, I just yeah. assumed it was Pazuzu. <laughs> yeah, was that <laughs> it's not always Pazuzu? Pazuzu? I just figure this was bring him right to the Look, church. Pazuzu's in every movie. They just never actually say Pazuzu's name in any movie, and they usually don't show him. But he, there's he's a couple there. of times where we also flash faces of other characters real quick. <laughs> Just saw my cities. Uh, <laughs> if I hear somebody say Flash, I gotta do it. Gotta do it. Just gotta. Did you guys see that new DCEU movie? Blue Beetle. <laughs> sorry, Mike. Uh, but yeah, um, Ryan. I, I do not want to see my Blue Beetle. I'm sorry. Go. <laughs> <laughs> the gargoyles. Ryan. Remember that? What was that uh, waffle website? Remember that? Oh, Blue Waffle. Blue Waffle. Yeah. Don't look it up. I don't. Don't type that into the internet. Don't go to popfilter.co slash blue waffle. No, um, do not do that. Yeah, I think that the gargoyles are really going to like bring up the just the cost of my home a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, uh, I love the line of thinking that is like, there are evil spirits in the world. They are bad. They do tangible things to make our lives miserable. They are afraid of spooky statues. Because <laughs> that is the whole purpose of gargoyles is and evil spirits come around the church and then they're like, look at these fucking oh, scary, scary statues. Is that what they think we look like? I'm out of here. It's like that comedian's bit about how if we don't uh, make all bathrooms like uh, you know one gender or anybody can use, it's like the child molesters be like, oh, boys only, I can't go in there unless <laughs> children. <laughs> I'll stand out here and never do it. Oh, I can't break rules. <laughs> I would never. And uh, I'm not going to give away where what town you live in, Ryan. Even though everybody knows Sunny Burbank, California, but you won't even be the first house in your town with gargoyles. <laughs> so there's, there's so many goyled houses everywhere. All right, Mike, what do you got for your last pick of the second round? Well, especially now that we know it was a wig, these luxurious curly locks. I am yeah. so jealous. Everybody looks great with them, and I want that for myself. Honestly, this is fi- like finding out that uh, Tom Selleck wore a fake mustache and Magnum P.I. Like, this is right. what the Suths is known for, this and is, I'm kind of pissed. It's upsetting. Well, it really th- is upsetting. Throughout this movie specifically, I was like, how did Kiefer get his hair? Because it yeah. is nothing like Donald's. Exactly. That's and nice. now we know. The stolen valor. How did either of his sons, Kiefer or Emilio Estevez, get their hair? <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. That I think round two has to go to Mike. Curly supremacy. It's a real thing. Yeah. No, way to lay up that. <laughs> Sometimes you got to know <laughs> your yeah, host. Mike, your last pick is due now. What is your last pick of this shopping spree? I don't want to be the Aquaman of shopping sprees. We're like, yeah. I can only help out. You never want to be the Aquaman of any situation. Like, he can only help fight crime if there's water nearby. Like, yeah. I can't really use my water hearse. That's so, true. 
I want the city I live in. Now it's all canals, baby. I want those canals. You're drafting the canals. Good news, buddy. Thanks to climate change, many of the cities we live in will soon have <laughs> elegant canals. But let's be let's be honest. If Mike didn't draft that, he would be driving that funeral hearse into his streets of the city he lives in oh, yeah. for about 10 seconds before he broke everything. Everything. All right, Ryan, what is your final pick? There is, Greg and Mike, you can listen to this, a scene mm. in this movie Thank you. where a uh, man and woman fuck. What and I want that fucking is bed. there? You want fucking? I want that, <laughs> I want that fucking bed. <laughs> oh, the bed that they, they fucking. Yeah, it, it's so a bed built for them? fucking. They were on a bed? <laughs> I had no idea. So focused was I on the coitus. I want to be able to uh, reach around my wife's body all the way. <laughs> I can't wait till we talk about this. Yeah, I can't wait till we talk about this. What the we what? can't obviously we're contractually unable to mention anything about that weird move now, or the fact that it sent her face right to armpit town. But we'll get there. <laughs> we are all going to try that move this weekend. All right. So Ryan <laughs> wants the fuck bed. Um, I seventy three has taught me a lot about the world. It's taught me a lot about myself. Uh. Thin men from the seventies wearing really like well tailored brown suits, such a good look, and it's like mm-hmm. brown on brown on brown. Not I'm, tan. We're not here to cancel Greg. No, 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 no tan suit. But um, a, a week after Bruce Lee to even ge- be on the radar in a brown suit is so impressive. Bold. I have to say, and so I'm just going to. Say brown suit. I'm not even gonna pick one specific one. I'm just writing. In brown the seventies, they were here. all brown. They were they were all brown. Uh, and I think I gotta go, Ryan, with the fuck bed. Uh, so nice to Ryan. have a bed that you can just do some do some doing it on. Mike, you walk with a wonderful water horse, curly Curse. locks, and of course. Everywhere you go in your hearse will now need to be a canal, and so we're bringing that to your hometown. I'm going to add one thing for Mike, which is a uh, little strings to keep the wig to on. To keep the wig on. Thank you. Lying down to the canals. And that <laughs> yeah, that's look. true. And honestly, his hair has a way of finding its way off his head, Ryan. <laughs> me? Are you calling me bald? Fuck what? you. Uh, Ryan, you walk with uh, horny visions. Mm-hmm. Gargoyles and a fuck bed. Yeah, you are all gonna come into play. <laughs> that, that is a combo. I have stained glass windows, a beautiful cape, and a brown suit. <laughs> so you are a vampire. That's there what you're we saying. go. Ah, yes, I am. That's everything I need to be a vampire. Thank you, Mike. Oh, and if there was a fourth round, we are all going home with the "Don't Look Now" board game, so we can all play that with our family. <laughs> We're all getting the home version. When we come back, let's talk about this sex scene. Aside from the reveal of the killer, a little person, Don't Look Now is mostly known for its long sex scene, which rumor has it included some real-ass intercourse. Unfortunately, I think we kind of dispersed that rumor tonight on this show for the first time ever. What's Rogue doing here, and does the scene hold up to its reputation? Why all the banging? Point of order, real-ass intercourse or real-ass intercourse? Real ass in her course yeah it's all butt stuff but why is it is it necessary this is another story where uh it was not i believe in the script but um it was improvised it was thought of (laughs) that's 
it was like thought of right as they went to filming, and it that's why they decided to make it like the first thing that they that they filmed. Are you super stoked about that? That like, I mean, this is the most iconic part of your movie, and you thought of it right before, which is a bummer, but cool. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, well, the the so so the the story is Rogue uh, was looking over uh, the script, and he thought. Like, we never see them close in any way. And so the scene, everybody talks about um, the fucking, but... um, There's more, but wait, there's more. Because it's interspersed with the two of them putting their clothes back on afterwards and looking as genuinely happy as they do at any point in the movie. Again, Mm. they're shown putting their clothes on separately. So, like, we have the two of them together, but then we see them post-coitus in separate worlds again, but even they look very happy and nice. Even if they're three feet apart from each other while getting dressed, they're never in the same shot together. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, well put, yeah. And and then right. there's the infinite Donald Sutherland butt shot, and I think that's, <laughs> even though it's just his butt, it is, oh, sex is done, all I can see is me. Like, <laughs> um, Do you guys think that this is the first time since Christine died, and that's why it's so wild and important? I, I, I guess think, I go, Mike. I, I think so. Like e- either that or like it's the only time they can let their guard down is because hopefully the only time parents don't think about their kids is while they're fucking. And so like it, the animal part of your brain turns back on. It shuts down the grief for these blissful for them. Eighty-five minutes. Yeah, I for mean, me, I, I solid three. It is like a really healthy drug to use. Yeah, you know, to like uh, just forget for a little bit. But uh, there's something about the length and. I think why it became so famous is because there isn't a single part of not the way that it's shot, but the way that these two are interacting that does not seem like movie sex. And we've made fun of parts of it throughout this entire show. So desperate to get to the segment. Yes. Were we? Uh, but there are so many weird things that happen in it that like movie sex is basically always the same because okay one thing one thing we need to say about movie sex and because it's very clear watching this sex scene that you are allowed to show a lot of nudity you're allowed to show a lot of the couple together but like the the absolute thing you cannot show is any thrusting Mm, any right. like flexing of like the hips or like the man butt biceps which uh, is most they're com- scissoring is completely not allowed. I mean, look, like think about um, in um, what is the, the the Korean movie about the lesbians? The Handmaiden. Um, yes, uh, they they scissor for days in that movie. There's like three minutes of them just going to Scissor Town, but because that's like kind of like a fake, not right. very actual, like realized like sexual act. It's but the the even nowadays you will not you'll see a lot of stuff in a sex scene, but honestly, what you won't see is the guy actually moving his hips in a very sexual way. And uh, Rogue was always quick to point out that that does never, that never happened in this movie. And so he felt like that's how they got away with it being so long. But I think that the fact that like they do wrap around each other and the aforementioned Sutherland trying to like bite the shoulder and stuff like that's movie sex for all movies is sort of scripted in this way where you do this, you do this, you do this. And then a lot of like position changes. And and then now we have the L sheet, right? Where like you're covering your boobs and uh, the boy is covering 
just his, his credit. The LC. I love how naked but, Donald Sutherland is for this whole scene. But like he's boyishly naked the entire time. These weird things that they do outside of the movie sex script are not only make it seem more organic, mm-hmm. more like the in the Fantastic. moment, more like they actually penetrated. But like there is this feeling of like when they do these weird things, it's like I need I, I need to be more inside you. More, yeah. Like, yeah. When she's like biting his foot, right? Uh, like, I can't be with you as much as I want to be. So they just keep getting like the closer and closer. And it's not like how sex is filmed, which is like in this very like uh, visually stimulating, but not right uh, romantically stimulating or emotionally resonant right way where this uh, is they where especially that wraparound moment we've talked about the whole time is like i need to be fully consuming you and yes. you consuming me to We're forget to how separate we are um but ultimately we would say not very sexy right well and the music does no help this is what we talked about parts of the time where the music does not jive and well this is not this is not actually the score this part the guy who wrote the music wrote a different musical part for this but rogue didn't like it he said it was like too too sexy. epic or like too much this sounds like um do you guys remember the theme from ice castles ice castles don't let this be the end like this sounds like a, a uh version of a pop song that you would hear in a grocery store, like a Muzak version. Yes, that, like, Muzak whatever, for sure. Whatever was supposed to hit that, uh-huh. that, that the composer wrote, they fucking booted that and they just put elevator music on. I I don't think this is the first time they have had sex since their daughter passed. And that I think it's because of what you said, Ryan, which is that it is something in their grief they can do with each other that like takes them out of themselves for a little bit. And to bring up Rob Delaney again, uh, who lost his son, one of the time when uh, his son Henry was having like, the most like important surgery, but also one that was going to be like very difficult. Obviously, uh, he tells this story about how he and his wife had sex twice while waiting for the surgery to be over. And so, like, I just I I think when you cling to each other and you don't know what to say to each other, you don't know how to be there for each other. I think physically is one way you can as a couple, like, yeah, find some way to navigate. And there's a desperation in this scene. I think that that desperation is like, how do we be with each other? Because we can't, we can't break this barrier. This like glass barrier that's between us. We cannot break it even really, even in this moment, it's nice and it's pleasant and we're doing something for each other, but it still doesn't quite get there. I mean, the way that the scene is shot, the way that the, like the, the feeling of it is you are, going to prison for life tomorrow yeah and we don't know how true that is but that's like sort of how it's not animalistic it's not like screaming and yelling but there is it's i don't know it's like sensual plus in this weird the intensity the desperation right that just isn't in movies yeah um Uh, it's also one of the first depictions ever of what cunnilingus uh Good for I, them. Yeah, one of the first times ever that that that, that was at least implied or kind of shown on the screen. They That's call him DJ Sutherland because he goes to, what you go. <laughs> That's why DJ Khaled hates this movie. That's <laughs> what I said. That's fine. <laughs> we can leave it there. Uh point of order, and I think it's before it starts, and I know it shows like they're flirting and it's about to happen because he's naked. Don't call love handles lumps because that Ooh. makes it feel like tumorous. And he's so thin. Ooh. Yeah. Every, I mean, like, you would just expect by his head that Sutherland is like a fatty fat. 
I don't know why. It's Elliot Gould, too. Elliot Gould takes his shirt off in uh, The it's Long It's the curly Goodbye. hair. It's the curly Isn't hair. It's the curly hair. That's yeah. Like, it's an it tricks the illusion. eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, it makes you think the person's head is bigger, and then you think the rest of them is bigger. But everybody talks about the sex scene. And then if they move on to a next point, it's like how it's intercut with them getting dressed again to go out, which mm-hmm. is, you know, this uh, revolutionary idea. But no, I agree with Mike. It's the scene before as well where these fucking gorillas, these naked-ass people, like – seem so comfortable with each other. Yeah. You know? And they're like, I that's this scene has probably more time the the, the time that they spent together in this scene is probably more time than I've been naked around my wife in seven <laughs> years of marriage. <laughs> and if she said, Hey, look at your lumps, I would fucking turn into ash and uh, I, like <laughs> yeah. like uh, a blip. You wouldn't grab your nuts and say these lumps blip. right here, baby. Isn't, isn't there an interesting like inversion there of the classic relationship though? Like normally yeah. we would expect in a movie that the woman is kind of minting around naked. And Donald Sutherland is the one who's like completely naked for a long time before they actually get into the sex. And then it's like his body body being evaluated and you know you're not up to snuff you don't look thin enough i don't understand how you could look at a dude naked and like be turned on have it be donald we're weird man we are those gargoyles uh i also think why this speed round speed round mike you don't think anything i think nothing uh did the music from this movie did parts of it at all remind you of the zelda music zelda has a lot to do with flutes right yeah, yeah, and just the score—it's like the first six or seven notes of the sc- of the main score for this movie are the same or very similar to the Zelda music, and then it goes in a completely different direction. I'm so sorry. When you say Zelda, do you mean the Legend of Zelda, or do I you mean, mean the Legend of Zelda? Zelda Rubenstein, Tears from Poltergeist, Tears of the Kingdom that we've talked about. Uh, this movie is very similar to. Um. The Legend of Zelda is what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about the Legend of Zelda. So we didn't get into this. Red, huh? Red, gotta do it sometimes. Red, it's what? What? Oh, the bottom of the cup is red. Oh, I saw it there. I I know this movie is smart, and I know the people who made it are smart. But sometimes they're like, it's red and it's water, right? You get it? It's red and it's water. Is there any chance? This is so dumb, but I'm just gonna say it because I'm halfway through the sentence. Is there any chance that it is? It's kind of a literal red herring that like. It doesn't actually have that much significance in the movie, like that. The like you can't say like it represents this. Like you know, right. you could say it represents his blood at the end of the movie or something like that. But is there any chance that there's like it's supposed to be kind of an empty symbol that he is obsessed with, and that mm-hmm. we are also we follow him along? But it's not. That's not where meaning is. That meaning is somewhere else in the movie, and that we are invited to sort of like put too much meaning into the into the color red. I hear what you're saying, and I think that you're. Right, but well, Ryan. I thought you were right too, Greg. No, you didn't, Ryan. That's cheesy. I also think there's something else that we sort of referenced (laughs) before of like, um, we right away notice the red. There's not not noticing the red. If this is the first movie you've ever seen, if you've never taken a film class, if you've never discussed a movie before, you notice the red. The uh, uh, raincoat. Compared mm-hmm. to the um, spilling the glass on the picture and the red spills, you can't not notice it. Yes, and so yeah. even if you can't find the meaning in the red Ryan. or if Rogue has no meaning in the red, it's like, hey, dipshit, pay fucking attention. Yeah. And I think that it's, like, it's like a starting gun for the movie. Mm-hmm. There's something going on here. There's something right. beneath the, the, the surface of what you're seeing. I almost felt like there were times where 
he had to almost like unnaturally work it into the movie. Like there's a part where they're uh, hauling up this poor murder victim's body from the canals. And the scene starts on two little kids, red like beanies. Right. And it's just like, okay, you see there's, there it is. That's red. She's drowned. His daughter was wearing red and drowned. Look, is there a chance that Rogue's assistant on this movie was like, uh, sir, you haven't put red in a scene in like five days. Oh shit. Let me get some beanies real quick. There's a chance. There, oh, no. there might be a chance. Um, can we see some of the mastery that would go into Rogue's other very important movie, Gleaming the Cube, a.k.a. A Brother's Justice? That's the editor's movie. He directed – the editor directed that movie. Oh, I see. Does I can't remember Gleaming the Cube. Does it have uh, the same sort of like ragged editing techniques, the same sort of like <laughs> – No. It's Christian Slater being jumps. Like, well, I guess I need clean to get a skateboard. <laughs> Got to avenge my brother using only skating. Is that I, an I, ungleamed cube? <laughs> Not for long. I just watched True Romance for the first time a week ago, and uh, nobody's uh, impression of him is ever wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear, especially since I thought you were cocking back a, yeah. a big insulting punch to the... No. He, I love him, but everybody's impression is right. So uh, for my SNL tryout or audition, yeah. it'll be good? Yeah. Is it shocking and to topical. think that if you went to a bar in 1973 and you showed up with Elliot Gould and Don or Donald Sutherland that there's no chance you'd get any attention at all? Well, that's why I have that wig now. So I would also get attention. <laughs> Maybe Mike did win the draft. Is there like is that a- your water hearse outside? <laughs> yeah, it is, baby. I'm the one who Pulled made the right city up. canals. <laughs> I don't want to talk shit, but like... If it was me, Elliot Gould from 1973, and Donald Sutherland from 1973, and we all went to pick up on my current wife, would I lose? Yes. Like, they're, they're just so <laughs> I, I just would? That's so crazy to me. I mean, I'm Gould so, wins. <laughs> yeah. That's Gould. a sex pot. We've all seen the picture with Grover. Yeah, that fucking sexy ass. Does she bit. have the 1973 sensibilities, or is she like the modern day version of your of your wife? Because I think I feel like when you're not bound by the 73 way of looking at the the male body, what the fuck were they into though? Like, it, have we had a movie where there's like a classically like by 2023 standards hunky guy? No, I, I think we had moved off of attractive people at this time. I think attractive people were definitely not having a moment. Paul Newman the, and Robert they were Redford both in the, the stinger. stinger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the answer is the stinger. <laughs> That's why it's a basic-ass movie. Also, Julie Christie in this movie is, like, one of the most beautiful women of all time. Like, it, it's almost distracting. You know, this is our time. third Julie Christie movie? Is that, is that true? true? Yeah. Third? What were the other two? Well, uh, at one point, we'll do McCabe and Mrs. Biller. But yes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see that. Uh, but Nashville, a different Altman. Oh, yeah! And right. uh, Shampoo, she was of course the politician's wife. That No, right. the business guy's wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what? her boyfriend made that movie. So she's like, hey, put me in it. Uh, like, wonderful actress. Yeah, she's so great in this. Well, that is the end of Speed Round. When we come back, we're going to hand out some awards and we're going to give you some recommendations. I want to do some awards and recommendations. But before we get into the awards, I, I have a way I usually do these awards. I'm going to mix it up. What made you cringe, Ryan? Uh, okay, so we have not talked about the second most famous part of this movie, barely yes. at all, which is Donald Sutherland. And I don't think a perfect movie has to be perfect. 
No. I think a perfect movie. This is a great example of a non-perfect, <laughs> perfect movie, I think. I think that this is a four-star movie with giant flaws. And one of them is like, fuck, we're still genre, right? Like, we're still in this, like, horror, suspense, thriller genre. Uh, one of those flaws, to me, this is just my opinion, uh, Sutherland finally chases down the actual Christine jacket-wearing person. Not <laughs> not treating her like Christine in the least. This is what's interesting. He can't stop following this person, but even up until the very last second, he's not saying, Christine, return to me. He's, like, not admitting that not he Not like the Phantom of the Opera would say. Yeah, but, like, he's, he's not admitting to himself that he thinks that this is right. his daughter. Right. This so is just somebody just, else who needs my help. He, but, but he like, is following her like, like down a, a dark asshole alley. dude. He just wants to get to the bottom of the logic. That's it. Yeah. Right. I just want the I just want the info. I have to see cuz I have no there is no faith in me. So I only know what I actually see and so I have to see your face. I have to see that you're not my daughter. And and this is uh I don't know what it was like for you Mike this week, but on the 6th time or whatever watching it, it's so fucking forced and it's so uh, make fun of this poor actress, and it's so. And then after that, we get into eighty slasher, where she gently slaps the side of the she knife. She just like off. places the <laughs> knife in his neck, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's so it. That's slowly. a killing blow." And then Donald Sutherland's like, "Okay, okay, okay, I'm gonna fall. <laughs> Give me the jar of strawberry jam, please." I I can't totally tell what the movie's trying to do at that point. Is it supposed to be like you thought she was young, but she's old, or? This is a little person, or like, what is the? I, I, is she supposed to be scary? Because she turns around and she looks like someone's nana. Or the, way something. That, <laughs> the way that I always <laughs> the way that I always think about it is that I remember vividly one day when I was a kid. Um, I thought that in my cup when I ran up to sit down for dinner, there was milk, and it yeah. took a drink, and it was yeah. apple juice, and I almost fucking threw. Ryan. it. I love apple juice. Yeah, you drink it all day if you could. But if adults were allowed to have juice, I, th- I thought. It, when you're it's adult, illegal. like you find out that it's fucking terrible. For Wait, you, this is like drinking a milkshake? Yeah, but it's just it tastes like an but apple it's not instead. As good. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I almost threw up because it's not what I expected. No. So you're supposed to think that Christine is there, and instead it's the same heighted person, which yeah. is like uh, Ari Aster level. Like, let's make fun of old people. Yeah, I up. thought of this that is what I for sure. Yeah. I was like in yeah. Greg's brain <laughs> because he's oh, gonna have some I, stuff any, to say. Anytime you're showing me an old person or a slightly um, non-conventionally built person, and you're trying <gasps> to shock me with that, I get angry and i turn against your movie and they're not saying bit. all little people are murderers just all italian little people are murderers <laughs> which that i believe um Mike. and then this actress can't stop twitching her head right like, yeah to the left a little bit uh and then yeah if I, the, all of this to me from the casting to the idea to the forced genre nature of it is what is the cringiest moment to me yeah okay i like that mike what do you got My, mine is related uh it's the when we first meet the sisters and the, the camera just keeps kind of zooming in on the blind sister on both of them. But like, it's just like, she's blind. Isn't that scary? Look at her eyes. Oh. They've got a milky film oh. on there. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Don't yeah. do this. You know what? Right. I'm going to give it to right. both of you because that there is not a ton of cringe in this movie, but the way it handles like um, people's size or the or the way it handles disability. It's, just, it's not very comfortable, and it's not necessary. Imagine if he just followed his vision, right. and he walked off of something, and he fell, which the movie 
predicts a lot. Like he, you there, know, he's gonna he's a fallen motherfucker. Yeah, there's constant falling in the movie. Um, and his vision like led him to accidentally kill and himself or something. Not only would it be not cringy by 2023 standards, it would be uh not fucking stupid. Yeah, the way having this serial murderer. I love when Mike goes full Philly on movie talk. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so there like there's been this killer that has like been talked about briefly in the movie. Right. Yeah. So your killer is this little old lady? But so she's she's the lady who also killed that woman and pushed her in the canal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like you so what's her MO? You don't think this is the little old lady from Pasadena, do you? <laughs> I don't. Mike. What was your what do you think was the director's signature moment? We we talked about it a lot even when we weren't supposed to, and then we did a whole segment just about it. That sex scene, uh, not only was it all the reasons we talked about, but it's also, hey, viewers, if you don't get what I'm doing with time and collapsing it yet, <laughs> I'm going to shove it down your throat here. And by now, Phrasing. keep your eye out for it, because I've yeah. been doing it since the beginning. But like, so uh, the time collapsing thing is the signature, though, right? Yeah, it's not sex. It's, it's the collapsing The witches time. didn't have... Angelica Houston having a bunch of sex everywhere. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm taking that My off cut. my yeah. to watch list. Her <laughs> nose is just melting while railing. Ryan, where did you see director Rogue's signature in this movie? I think it has to be this, but the one that I picked was the editing of the opening. I, I can't just say editing. Right? Yeah, because right. But that is kind of the answer, so we're finding like a specific thing to attach to. The award is called Director Signature Moment, and so what I'm going to say is... Uh, Christine's drowning and how we get shots of the past, present, and future all at once. There's one at the end that I thought And we're, about. like, assailed by them. We have no idea what's going on. Right. And, like, again, I'm going to set you up to watch this movie. Like, he's actually right. doing us a favor in a way that a lot of already directors will not. They'll, like, no, I I want to leave you I will, alone. You know? He teaches us how to view his movie. And right. It's, like, done in a very unobtrusive way. The whole beginning of the movie is, like, a tutorial. When a movie tells you who they are, believe, believe. them. <laughs> um, but right. there's, a, there's another montage at the end of the movie that's a little more traditional, where it's, like, going through the movie. All oh, the, his life literally flashing before his yeah. eyes bullshit. Yeah. So, that uh, it fits, and then also just cutting to characters at the time like yelling because they kind of know what's going on. Right, but then like the Fonz jumps a shark, hey. and then the Ninja Turtles high five. Like it was weird. Uh, it's it works in the movie. It's just a little more traditional. I think that the way that the opening of the movie is cut is so perfect, and we could have done a whole show on that, but also setting you up. Yeah, I think I am gonna go with Ryan, Ryan there, but that was a couple great answers. Uh, how about pound for pound performance, Ryan? I I mean. The killer was hardly in it, so you want to just go with the killer? I hard, and not I, a lot of poundage. <laughs> I, I'm, you I, can't say that about every character in this movie, right? Some of them have a, a have high lumps. level of poundage. Yeah, God, Sutherland, like, what was he at? 182 when he should be at 180? Like, fat fucking <laughs> Look at thing. his fucking size. What a piece of shit. Um, I drafted her powers, and I'm going to take her now. It is Hillary Mason as the blind sister. Um committing to the bit yeah in such a way where like she is uh, i hesitate to use this term but like she's in a what do you call it, heightened art or horror film mm-hmm. yeah or elevated horror 
and she's she, bringing so much of the creepiness herself right to she, the movie and she's she's being broad at points where like she's in a b movie horror right but the way that she makes it work the way that she freaks out the way that she smiles uh the happy or she is the worse off i am yes, <laughs> yes. Like, that's just there's times the where she's movie. so jazzed and it's not clear why <laughs> and it's just like why are you so happy lady what's going on but then also her it's also pitiful like her sitting in the jail cell like Say like, oh, somebody had me arrested. And <laughs> He's like, the, oh, oh uh, <laughs> yeah. Donald goes in there when like, I find the what? guy, who did that and gets her home. You know, like she's. Uh, I think uh, broad range here. Excellent. Well, what do you say, Mike? Uh, mine's Julie Christie. I, I think the way she captures the fighting to find any way to be happy again and, and grasping onto these two people she never met and just kind of unhingedness uh, into fully buying into like the mystical. Uh, yeah. I think she's great. Yeah. I love it. And transcendent. So that, that, that always puts the thumb on the scale and braless. I think that uh, you said braless. <laughs> no, I think Mike said that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that part of why I don't think Sutherland is, such an evil piece of shit or like a bad husband is because of what a good job job she does uh, dancing on that line of like uh grieving mom but also smiling idiot like she is kind of gone like she is i would be worried about her oh yeah he looks kind of grasping like i guess i have to order for you because yeah she just like she falls down one day and then is gone Think, yeah. Thinking of uh, B movie level acting and Sutherland in the in the intro scene, him because he was the star of Sliver, right? That we watched a couple seasons ago. The Sliver. worm, evil worm zombie movie. Sliver. The Cronenberg movie, huh? The Cronenberg Cronen- movie, yeah. Was it Slither? No, that's no. James Sliver. Gunn. Okay. Later, but Sliver, I don't think I you watched watch it. it. Just, no, I didn't. But I think he was. But he. It reminded me like his acting when he grabbed his kid, and I'm like, I can't. I literally can't imagine what that. But but it was so like oh, 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 B movie. Yeah. Like it was like, oh buddy, I hope this calms down, and it does. <laughs> Shivers. Shivers. Shivers you. me timbers. Uh, so who was yours, Mike? Oh, it was Julie. Julie Christie. Yeah. Um, Mike. How about scariest moment, Mike? When were you scared? This is a horror movie. So when were you scared? Is a horror movie. So when were you scared, Mike? <laughs> That's what we're asking. Because uh, I don't want to... I have an answer that works for this and the other movie-specific award, but I want to change it up. Uh, so I'm going to say what they do so well in the intro, the way these two little blonde Muppets are playing so uh, carefreely, but the music and the tension is building, you fucking know one of them's going to die. Uh... And so I think right away in the first scene, you're like, well, this is not going to be happy very soon. And it just keeps ratcheting that up. And just so we're clear, if you haven't seen it, the music is uh, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. And that's the, I can't think of anything scarier. It's <laughs> fucking horrifying. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, my scariest moment is actually before the famous reveal. And that's um, Donald Sutherland is chasing this red-coated serial killer down through the back alleys of Venice, not the fancy Not the streets. nice parts. No. But um, really, it's and it's all so moody, and it's not just Hitchcock, but it's like um, I don't know, like 1920s German expressionist mm-hmm. film. Like, this yeah, is like, we're looking at some Caligula shit, right? And then what we never see is this guy who's, or we barely see this guy whose boat he stole or almost stole, screaming at him from behind. So like, we are being, you know, we're chasing while being chased, and all of the sounds are everywhere. 
Uh, it fucking sucks, man. And if meanwhile, he's chasing the killer, which is just so funny that like she's taking him to this very secluded yeah. spot, and he's just absolutely pursuing her. Right, exactly. Well, and some random dude's like, "Don't do that." I bet, yeah, again, if we could speak the Italian, killer. they'd be like, that's the killer. That's definitely the killer. She's so distinctive looking. Not your daughter. This is all cut with Julie Christie getting home to the sister's house and being like, hello, everyone. I'm so happy. Where's my husband? And the sister's are like, uh, get him back. Go find him. We know he's going to die. And she's like, what? What? Okay. Uh, that's not the skit. It's just the running through mm. the alleyways. Yeah. It's done so fucking well. Ryan. Yeah, and it's like... At some point, it almost feels like he w- leaves Venice. Like, it, like the the place they get to doesn't really seem like he goes through some mist, and it just it feels like there's like an otherness there. Ryan, you are the show's resident expert on Italianness. What did you think was the most Italian moment in the movie? Uh, I I don't think there's any other answer except for what I'm about to say, Greg. Uh, Donald Sutherland gets on that fucking raised thing trying to repair the gargoyle or the fake church or whatever he's doing he falls and once it all starts to go down somebody one level below him literally says mama mia mama mia <laughs> he fell on the platform that's a pretty and good they're throwing barrels up at him yeah ah. and they put a like a green pipe below him just yeah. so he could drop into <laughs> mike what do you got uh it's i think it might be the first time we actually see the red coat but it is uh, they're like wandering around Venice, and then suddenly it is midnight. There's nobody around. It feels like they're 18 stories below ground. It's like an old, dead part of the city, mm-hmm. and they don't know how they got there. Friends, I've been to Italy a few times. This just will happen to you. There's no <laughs> way to not have it happen. Suddenly, you're in catacombs miles below the city, and you don't know what happened. And it seems terrifying, but it's all part of the process. I'm going to give this one to Italian correspondent Ryan. But what I was really hoping was there's a time, that same scene, I think, Mike, uh, they, like, yell out, mm-hmm. and uh, Italian people just open their windows and start yelling out the windows. Yeah. Like, hey, you got to quiet down down there. Hey, you yell too loud. It's the I have- original version of the internet. Well... <laughs> You yelled too loud to make it like that. Yell Don't too feed loud. the trolls. <laughs> I have an HM. Uh, it is when he's looking for uh, his wife after she's gone with the two sisters for the seance. And he's like peeping. And then there's a guy just who pops up like a neighbor in his face. <laughs> and he's just like English. And the guy's in his face saying something aggressively. And he's just like English. That also is very going to happen to you in Italy. All right, and lastly, we, uh, of course, would never forget to do recommendations. I'm going to go first. So much of this movie uh, is centered on the um, the sort of energy of 1970s spiritualism. Spiritualism uh, had different periods in time that w- where it was very big in America and b- in the world. And one of those times of the 70s where it made like a roaring comeback, and suddenly people wanted to pierce the veil again and talk to lost family members and everything. Uh Spiritualism is a very interesting belief system. And there was a uh, podcast called Ghost Church by uh, my favorite podcast in the world, Jamie Loftus. This is the uh, Mensa person? Yes. The hot dog girl, right? And the the raw dog is the book she wrote. And um, Lolita podcast, the the ACK cast, the the podcast about Kathy, which I didn't think I was going to like because I didn't really care about Kathy. But it's like such an exploration of what, Kathy is and why I would have the instinct to say I don't really like Kathy that much like how culture 
gave me that message and how I repeat it, not because of anything I feel about Kathy, but because of what I feel maybe about women and how bought into misogyny I am. Ack. But when people are like, tell me about Greg, I'm like, he's so bought into misogyny. He's so bought into the patriarchy. (laughs) He acts like he's not, but that's just on the surface. But uh, Ghost Church is an examination of spiritualism without being judgy about it at all. But also not like being like, no, they're cool and they're regular. It's kind of like about how all religions are at their core very weird and how that's just like a part of religion and spiritual beliefs. Um, And Jamie Loftus is just such a master. Uh, She's such a good podcaster and the way she walks you through the stories and the way that you feel like you understand her. And spiritualism is a very interesting belief system. So Ghost Church by Jamie Loftus. Uh, Check it out. Mike, what do you recommendation? I have two. One that I had prepared and one that I thought of on this show. Uh, Listeners might go back and realize the moment I... uh, I'll I'll do that at the end just in case it's not... It's Ryan's. Is Uh, it Ghost Church? It's not. It's Ghost Church. Uh, The first one is Suspiria. Uh, I think you'd probably say a lot of Argento, but it's the... The, the 70s horror thing of like, it does not feel like modern horror for big swath, swaths of the movie. You'll be like, is this horror? Uh, and it's just like all vibes and the music, like I said, definitely has it. And then the end really reminded me of it because the spirit of those moments were like, yeah, fuck, this is scary. These vibes are nuts. And then there's moments where like, what's that monster hand? What the fuck just happened? That was stupid as shit. Uh, so if you want similar vibes, it is a good watch. You should check it out. Love it. I don't know, man. Like, I get what you're saying. And also, we're prepping for the end of the year, and we have a horror show for the end of the like 2023 end of the year. And yeah, like, I'm sort of right now, like, I don't fucking like this. This makes me fucking sick. And I like, I don't like watching this. And that's what I have with Don't Look Now. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have. I can see that with Suspiria as well. Like, this is horror, man. This is hor- I, like, this is, is horrible. The- yeah. Yeah. This is Dr. Horrorables. <laughs> Sing along blog? <laughs> Sing along blog. Is that your recommendation? No. <laughs> what was your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is a little Netflix movie called The Killer, which Ayo! some will say uh, handles um, capitalism in, you know, to some effect, masculinity to some effect. Uh, I think that we should do a pod about it at some point. Yes. Do, do we think that it's going to be in the booties? Now I do. I thought so. I thought it would be. It's fiction. I mean, I feel like we're going to force it. I don't know. We like, might force it. Yeah, it's it's worth talking about. It definitely, like, um, I thought it was really good. It is certainly worth, like, having a, a little bit of a conversation about. I mean, it's a very modern movie. It's, like, very much about where we are right now, so. But my connection, and, Mike, this is a spoiler. All listeners, this is a spoiler. So Earmops. You take your headphones off <laughs> or press them closer. He doesn't know how that works. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, my connection to Don't Look Now is at the end of both movies, they go up to somebody in children's clothes. And don't look now, it's the red jacket in uh, The Killer. Uh, this person is wearing a hoodie with a sub pop shirt and dressed like a 15 year old. And then uh, <laughs> you turn them around and they are an 80 year old person. They are <laughs> old. That's very good. And but I was that, like, but, and they're basically like an old baby. Yeah. Yeah. Just an <laughs> old baby you want to cradle, but also kill for the betterment <laughs> of society. So don't look down with The Killer. Uh, not as good, though, Greg, if I may steal. Uh, a double feature as Don't Look Now. No, we were talking about something else. Don't Look Now and The Killer <laughs> is my double feature of the weekend. Uh, the one I thought of in the middle of this, uh, and having been to Bruges vibe, it's in Bruges, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do. I do remember that from the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would. Oh shit! Because yeah, chasing after you. You think it's a little kid that makes you sad because of things you might have done or not done, and no, it's it's a little person. Although it's a little person. Bruges is shot like Venice in this movie, but I don't know if there is there the nice part of Bruges that he's leaving out. No. Well, I loved visiting there, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. That is the end of our awards and recommendations. When we come back, we talk about how we think this movie is going to do in the bracket, and I let you know who won this show, although I kind of think it was Ryan. Damn it. Well, don't look now, Ryan. What? But, but you have done it again. 51 to 40, you have emerged. Whoa. Oh, damn. Ryan grabbed around to reach my back and make <laughs> me smell his armpit yeah, while he was inside of face. me. To his armpit. That's right, but I will say that uh, not to give Mike any credit because he's a fucking loser. Huh. Um, this movie, like, you can't. Sometimes, like, it, it your experience with the movie doesn't matter on this show. Like, right. you, you maybe watch it once, and the other person watches it ten times, and the person who watches it once will win because of uh, fresher outlook or because they complimented Greg's non-curly wig a bunch of times. <laughs> this movie is one of those where. It, it needs to be seen multiple, multiple it, times. Yeah. It is so At clearly a novelistic movie where, yeah, yeah you got to go back again after you got the plot down. Basically, your second viewing of this movie is like a first viewing of, of most movies. Having said that, that is generally on this show, that's high praise. Uh, and I felt like the vibes were pretty good for this movie. How do we think it's it's going to do? Honestly, I think it all depends on does Mike have the watch time to again. watch this again? <laughs> if Mike does, we're done. This is it. This is the movie. <laughs> well, I will say, I told this Greg off air, it, it, the first 45 minutes, I was like, fuck this boring, stupid, and then it just keeps oh, going. So you you're watched like, it with your wife? Wait, <laughs> no, I watched it alone. You always like to blame her because you're a misogynist. You're like Greg. You buy into it. <laughs> oh, no, uh, the patriarchy again. And then, yeah, by the end of Twitch, I was like, no, wait, now I get what they were doing. And, yeah, and then... It's a peeler. The more you peel into it like an orange, the more but you like I, it. I don't think it's like our go-to reference on this podcast is come and see where like, oh, God, oh, please no. don't make me watch this again. No, no. Would, Even you, though it has very upsetting elements. Sure. And, and there's parts that are slow. I think that there's like a 20 or 30 minutes of this that are like kind of like, come on, movie. Yeah. Even though you're perfect four stars. Come <laughs> on, movie. Yeah. Uh, when Julie Christie goes basically to rescue her son. England. Um, but, uh, when you put it back on now that you have been given the don't look now for dummies book, because you watched it once, uh, it's uh, the whole thing opens up for you. Yeah. I think, I think it's the one, uh, I think that this is going to go on to win. I just, there's no way. And Mike, you'll, you'll get to experience this, but even you and I will, Ryan, who have seen it multiple times. There's just no way that you're not going to wake up tomorrow and think about this movie. Right. Like it's it just you're never going to stop thinking about this movie. And the next time you watch it, you're going to learn a little bit more about it, but still you're going to feel like there are depths to this thing that I have not plumbed yet and I'm interested in it still and I still want to think about it and I still want to chew on it. And that's how you win movie of the year really. Like if that's we if how we you win, guys, <laughs> make your movies like that. Just make them like that. Make them the kind of movies that people can't stop thinking about. I wish I had watched it before me and my daughter dressed as John and Christine for Halloween. Yeah. That was weird. That would have been better. I think that that would have been better. Well, we still have a few good episodes coming up, and you can check those out starting next week. But until then, do me a favor, would you? Keep watching them movies. 